Evening, everyone. One of the points I've got shortly in my sermon would be these two words. I'm bringing to your attention now because actually I'm covering from verse 38 to 48. So I'm actually covering more than um, what um, Jane mentioned. I'm covering um, enemies eye for eye and tooth for tooth. So that's, that must have been meant to be, mustn't it? Not a worry. No problem. Praise God. Are we okay at the back? I was told to give a minute. Wait before. Yeah, we're okay. First, let's pray before we read God's word. Blessed, is, blessed be his name. Lord, we thank you that we can be found in your house tonight. Lord, gathering together as your people to worship. Lord, to wait upon you, to hear your voice. Lord, speaking through your word. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait on thee. Hush our hearts to listen in expectancy. Amen. Now let's read um, those 10 verses. Um, in Matthew 5, if you'd like to follow with me, um, an eye for an eye is the heaven. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you are greeting only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Lord bless that reading from his word. Right. I'll give you the title tonight. That might have impressed us because that hymn that we sang, Higher Ground, I'd like to be a title, a theme for tonight, Higher Ground. So as we look at our text tonight in the continuing studies in, in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, um, we know it covers three chapters. It's quite, a, quite a lot to cover yet, isn't there? Quite a lot to go through. Um, but I'd like us to start going back to verse 1 if we can, just as introduction. Please bear with us. Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Get that picture in your mind. Going up on the higher ground, there was the master. He sat down as the manner of the rabbis and he began to teach them. All scripture is inspired by God and is given for instruction and teaching and rebuke and correction. We know those, those words. So he was teaching. I believe he was teaching um, in the way of righteousness. So, I would like us to think about that tonight. Are we coming to higher ground tonight? 
with a teachable spirit. We need to have teachable spirits that will open. Someone says, the mind works best like a parachute when it's open. Is your heart and soul open tonight to receive God's word and come to that higher ground and to have what I believe took place? I believe Jesus had a heart-to-heart conversation with those disciples. The problem was the heart, and he was getting to their hearts, and he was going to reveal things to them way above, more than, abundantly more than they would ever imagine about the law and its precepts, what they'd heard from the scribes and the Pharisees. They were going to hear real nitty-gritty, real-life stuff about their own hearts, the inner life, and what God would consider, God would consider what was most important for them. A parallel often quoted is the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And we're in a race, aren't we? Tonight you're in a race. Like Paul, we need to apply ourselves to press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Praise God that we've got that prize ahead of us, haven't we? Heaven and home to be ever with the Lord. I'm sure the disciples, as they sat there around and listened to the master, wow, can you imagine the things that they were going to hear in those Remember, three chapters. They were going to hear those beatitudes, those beautiful attitudes of heart that they needed to have to change. They needed to know about salt and light. They needed to know about the law. They needed to know about um, different things that the scribes and Pharisees had perverted. They were going to hear some real teaching, righteous teaching, teaching in righteousness. So tonight, just that thought, imagine those disciples, try and picture it in your mind, sitting there and looking at Jesus, their eyes were fixed upon him. You know, we sing that chorus, don't we? I'm not saying this tritely, that turn your eyes upon Jesus, looking full in your wonderful face, that the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Can we do that tonight? And let God speak to our hearts in whichever way he chooses. I don't know what God's going to say tonight. But my own thoughts are these, just still an introduction, as we continue looking at Jesus tonight, as he gives these antithesis, I would say. In other words, an opposite opinion of that well-known phrase is an eye for eye and love for enemies. wonder how this series is touching your life and mine at this point. I find it very challenging because I know that God is getting deep into my heart. We're not left in our comfort zone, but made aware that Jesus, I believe, always stretches us. My experience after 50 years of being a Christian is that we tend to move one step forward on the narrow road of the Christian life. Then he asks another And that might come through the preaching of God's word. We may show signs of progress and we think, wow, we're getting a little bit closer. And then he shows us there's more to come. Why does he do this? Is it not the case when we love 
people, especially family, and we believe we are the family of God. I have a granddaughter called Evie. Some of you know that, and she's got autism. I make allowances for Evie because of our differences. I give her a bit more slack, try to smooth the path for her. But when I think of Jesus on that sermon on the mount, on not sitting there with his disciples, he wasn't content with the status quo. He wasn't satisfied with where they were at. He's not satisfied where I'm at tonight or where you're at tonight. He wants to encourage us to grow, stretching us to what we know, he knows we are capable of, demanding but in a loving way just that little bit more. But not as a hard taskmaster, not like that stern, demanding teacher we remember from school days. I'm sure you can all remember one. Not you, Jane, you okay. But from a teacher who is firm but loving. To quote Psalm 103, verse 8 and then 10. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. And when we think about it, what, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to give those instructions in righteousness, how the heart should be, how we should be living. Demolish, demolishing the scribes and the, and the Pharisees and the perverters of God's law um, so that his love might reach deeper into our hearts. And that's a sure sign that um, he wants more from us. And by the means of grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he knows we are capable of more. I've already thought about the race, and this came to me this morning. What about the high jump? <laughs> I question you for so we can answer this. What do you reckon the highest jump is on record at the moment? Anybody got any ideas? Nobody ever guess. Taxi 2.45 and it's set in 1993 by a Cuban guy. The only way I'm saying that um, is Jesus sets the bar high for our Christian lives. Sets it high. And you might think, well, at times, are we for the high jump tonight? I don't know. Maybe. Because sometimes God's words can correct, can't it? As well as rebuke, as well as instruct and teach in righteousness. Next slide, please. Before we come to our text, I think this is a long introduction, Kevin, but bear with us. This is the way that God has led us. I believe it's important to consider these two words. And once they get away. Faith and belief. Are they the same word? Are they interchangeable? Can they be moved around? Um, it's important to know what we believe. But belief in itself important, though it is, is nothing unless it gets legs and it's the faith that moves in the direction of God. Does that make sense? Belief needs faith. Faith is putting our belief into action. And that's why 
I'm pleased. And you might think, well, we're here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're a nice, easy, nice, easy sermon, don't we? But I want to thank God for Kevin Potts, who gave an excellent, I'm going to use, I don't know why I'm using this word, Kevin, a forensic look at the law of God. And I'm so pleased in the Sermon on the Mount, in all of its instructions and everything else, that Jesus gives a mission statement about the law and says he's come to fulfill it, all of its righteous demands. And then he gives instructions, doesn't he, that we are still to try and achieve the commands of God. That's so encouraging, but what I'm trying to say is, is the importance of doctrine in relation to the law as we seek to work out the challenge of progression in our Christian walk in the life of faith we've been called to do. How important is it tonight that I can say before I even face the challenges and struggles of the Christian life that I've been justified through faith? Hallelujah. If I didn't know that God has covered me in his righteousness, if I didn't know that God doesn't treat me as, his, as my sins deserve, then how could I possibly seek to attain the higher ground? Now, as Paul said last week, that doesn't mean we excuse sin. It doesn't mean that we cop out. It means because of all that Jesus has done through the cross and his atonement, our hearts will want to reach out and please God to whatever he asks of us. But I thank God that in seeking to achieve a walk of faith that honors our profession, my profession, and the God who has called me, I can begin with the assurance, that's gone, I can begin with the assurance, if this makes sense, of my doctrines and belief and understanding. Not dry theology, but precious things that I believe. I believe in the statement of faith that Calvary Christian Fellowship has. Praise God, that's why I'm here. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be here. But these things I believe, and we might think at times, oh, teaching, it's dry theology. But we need that theology deep in our hearts and minds so that we can put legs to it and live that life of faith that God requires for us. Does that make sense? Belief and faith. You might think they're the same thing, but you could have a master of degree in theology and be as dry as sticks and as dead as dead man's bones unless God's spirit has moved in a heart and life and quickened beliefs into action and faith. Now then, we're nearly getting there. Next slide. Come to this um, word, and I'm going I'm to stick it down there so that we remember it when the slide goes. More than. If we're looking for a key to unlock what God is saying through the Sermon on the Mount in this section, in these sections, as he does the antithesis on murder and oaths and adultery, um, Paul dealt, dealt with something last week, and as, as we look at these things, I'd like to think of verse 47 and pick out those two words, more than. Because that is what God is requiring of us in these challenges of um, 
eye for an eye and love your neighbor. He wants more from us. And more than speaks to me of the abundant life. I have come that you might have life and more abundantly. Hallelujah. More than. And that's a challenge. Jesus saying to me, saying to you, in love, I want more from your life. More of God's image that will shine out to the world around us, to our families, to our communities. He wants more, more than, he's given more than principles and precepts to the norm. I imagine that those disciples must have been absolutely shell-shocked as they heard what Jesus was saying to them. Because the higher ground, brothers and sisters, that we should be seeking to attain in the teaching laid bare before us by the Master is what he needs from us, more than teaching. Because the text and studies get right at the heart of the matter, it puts the searchlight in these antitheses on our attitudes to ourselves, and now that is worked out in our attitude to others. The nitty-gritty of our daily lives worked out in real time and life experience. But at that point, slide four, if we could, Paul. Paul dealt with this last week, but I'm going to briefly mention it. As we seek to live this life, we can only do it by grace of God. Amen? Why? Because I'm saying this tonight, in my beliefs, I'm saying this. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. The old man is still alive in Kevin Flett. Sin is still there. And we battle against the devil, the world, and the flesh. And when Jesus says these words, think of these words that he says in Matthew 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covenant, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. As Paul said last week, it's not what we pour in as a juice, though, what they ate. It's what comes out of our hearts. So all I'm going to say about that is, is that we recognize that, don't we? In other words, that we understand the human condition. We understand, Paul mentioned this morning, about the perseverance of the saints. Theologians call this understanding total depravity, or the understanding of sin. And is it, is it right that we, in our beliefs, should also understand our own nature, understand what God has done for us in our salvation by covenants with a cloak of righteousness, why we seek to still, to honor and glorify him, move forward and higher ground. That's my understanding as God gets his pruning shears out, Robin, come into this one. I could, I mean, I almost thought of putting my old gardening coat on because really that's me and all my rags and my unrighteousness. But praise God, he also clothed me in his righteousness because he's fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. You think that's a long introduction, isn't it? Right, we'll get down to some understanding of 
The next slide, please, Paul. So now we read this. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand it over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Heard what it said. You have heard what it says. What does he mean by that? Where does, where, where does those words come from? Well, they're actually in a number of places, but I'll read from Exodus 21, verse 24 and 22. It says this, If people are fighting, and this is the laws and precepts that were given to Moses. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, prematurely but there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there's a serious injury, you ought to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So that section deals with, in Exodus 21, with pregnant women, with slaves, with animals, accidents that are both avoidable and deliberate, laws and precepts. Note, importantly, what the court allows. What the court allows. God gave lots of laws and precepts through his servant, Moses, to govern and regulate the daily lives of his people, Israel. He gave this particular law which insists that the principles of equality and equity should enter into all matters. If an individual strikes out another eye, he must not be killed for it, an eye for an eye. If someone knocks a tooth out, the victim is only entitled to do the same, not take his head off his shoulders. Punishment must fit the crime and not be in excess of a just punishment. And that's the purpose of this mosaic legislation. The principle of justice must come in and justice is never excessive in its demands. What's the cry that we hear? Sometimes from our own hearts, lock them up and throw away the key. Have you ever said that? Not always the answer, but the most important thing is the law was not given to the individual, but rather the judges who are responsible for law and order. So that words and the, what the court allows. And what does that tell me? tells me that the God of grace is also the God of law. God has built breaks for society because of its sin. There's boundaries and fences to control and manage humanity in its fallen state. And nothing has changed in modern 21st century Great Britain. The law is still administered by um, those governance of the law, the police, the magistrates, the crown courts, the high courts, the supreme courts. And when people say, you know, I don't believe all this gospel stuff and all this Christian teaching, well, say, why do we have law? It's a good argument, apologetics. Why do we have law? Because law is there in all the nations out of the world to control and fence in and punish sin. 
But isn't it true that society often mirrors Shylock and the Merchant of Venice? Remember what Shylock wanted? He wanted his pound of flesh, didn't he? So not only is nature red in tooth and cloth towards mankind, we want over and beyond what is reasonable and just. So more than teaching is this, no vengeance. More than teaching is, I will repay, saith the Lord, the only time when less is more, don't take the law into your own hands. Don't seek personal revenge. Jesus condemns the spirit of lovelessness, hatred and yearning for revenge. We need to overcome as Jane read out with love, with love and with God's love. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth has been picked up by various people. Um, in a context of racial conflict, um, a, racial, a racial activist said the law, you've probably heard this, the old law of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. Mahatma Gandhi said, believed to have said an eye for an eye leaves the old world blind. That is, I believe, a misrepresentation of God fencing in and managing sin through law. Now then, Quote the scripture there, but can I say this? We could easily spend a lot of time in the Old Testament studying all the laws and precepts given to Moses in the books of Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus that he gave for the governance of his people. And when you start reading, I've read them, I've had a look through them in my studies, blow your mind. But we are not called to be lawyers. We are called to be witnesses. Amen? So I believe, don't get me wrong, there's some value in looking at that, but if you've ever seen it at night, should we spend, say to Paul the pastor, Paul, can you spend six months and we'll look at all the laws and we'll see if we can match them all together and find out where we are, what would you say? You'd say, wow. <laughs> You'd probably end up with your head now. But what I have discovered in reading them, there is the same compassionate Jesus who was speaking to these men on the mountain, is the same compassionate God who wrote those instructions in the Old Testament. It was the scribes and the Pharisees who cherry-picked exactly what they wanted to their advantage, to meet their needs, and not to glorify God. So then, do not seek revenge. A thought came to me when I was preparing for this, a name flashed in my mind, but it didn't flash in my mind. An event flashed in my mind, and I thought, I've got to find out what that is. God has given us something to think about. Ireland has been in the news recently. Stormont's back to government. Governance, you think, thank the Lord for that. I'm sure the people of Ireland are thinking that. But go back 30 years or more to a certain age, for those of us who can remember, we recall on our TV screens, thankfully not actually physically there, the difficult days in Ireland, which was called the Troubles. And this came to my mind. God flashed it in my mind, and I checked this out. And he's a moving story of a Christian man. On November the 7th, November the 8th, 1987, a bomb planted there by the provisional IRA exploded in Enniskilling. Remembrance Day parade, and there was 
Gordon Wilson, this man, this Christian man from the local community, can some remember this? Is it flashing in your mind? And there was his daughter fatally injured and he was holding his hand and they had a conversation as she lay buried in the rubble. She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. Maria, his daughter, died. But when he was interviewed, was on all the news because this man expressed forgiveness to his daughter's killers. Can anyone remember that? And pleaded with loyalists not to take revenge for her death. It came back to me, this man was actually on higher ground. Even in the depths of losing his beloved daughter, Praise God. Higher ground. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, resist. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and takes your shirt and over your coat as well. Natural instinct, isn't it? Is what? Fight or flight. Someone gives you a smack. What are you going to do? God takes us to higher ground and says, well, we should not react. We should not punch. We should not reach out. Immediately the instinct is to retaliate, retaliate and have vengeance, isn't it? The point of this reference is about concern about myself. I've been insulted. I've been struck. Therefore, I must defend myself and my honor. Pistols at dawn. Resist, strike, use force. Is this something that we learn or is it something inbuilt within us that we want to do this reach out? I watch some silly stuff at times when I've got a few minutes on my coffee and sometimes I watch Facebook reels. Does anybody do that? And I kind of get out of my mind this really funny one but it, it fits in with this. If a little girl between um, two adults, two women. And the bacon. Has anyone seen this one? So there they are, breaking an egg, putting it into the mix. A bit like your, <laughs> um, Jane, your um, granddaughter, what we saw the other day. Anyhow, so there they are. Can you picture this little one in the middle, they're doing the cake, and there's the two women on the side, and then suddenly, one just goes and does what? Bump. Breaks the egg on her forehead and then drops it in. What do you reckon the little girl's reaction was? It was, it was amazing to watch because they were laughing and that suddenly broke it just on her forehead and dropped it in. Her reaction was to pick up the ball and go, one. You think, well... They were laughing, but the immediate reaction was, I need to strike back. Higher ground says that we don't. I'm giving um, thanks tonight, reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, because this is a story from Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, um, he speaks of Hudson Taylor. No one Hudson Taylor is, the Chinese missionary. He speaks of him dressed in Chinese garb, and he's, he was going to get a boat across a river, 
And as he waited to get on, he was dressed as a Chinaman. And, and then this businessman, this wealthy Chinese guy comes along and he says, pushes him into the mud. The boatman pointed out to him, this is not a Chinaman, this is a, this is a foreigner. Um, and then the, the foreigner was aghast of what he'd done because that was a real insult of the law of the land within China at the time. Shocked that he was blundered. But what was Taylor's reaction? <coughs> no complaint. He invited the man into the boat, so the story goes, and took the opportunity to witness him why his reaction was different. More importantly, who made the difference? That tremendous story. You might have heard that before. So there was more than faith being worked out. But not to bring the teaching to the extent of the ridiculous, if someone's drunk, violent, out of control, mentally deranged, what does the law of this land allow us to do now? Use what? Reasonable force to restrain. Or the least path of resistance. So our Lord asks us, the application is our Lord asks us to get rid of the spirit of retaliation of desire to defend ourselves and revenge ourselves for any injury or wrong that's been done to us. Our Lord's example, when reviled, reviled not again. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Again, some might say, well, he's the antithesis on Jesus about not retaliating and not getting back and going the other mile and that. But what about Jesus? Um, a question could be asked, and I'm going to answer it. What about Jesus in the temple? Jesus entered the temple court and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of rob robbers. In the teaching that's before us, do we turn aside and ignore evil and injustice within society. Jesus, filled with righteous indignation because of the glory of God, acted. And I believe we should too. Do you say amen to that? Or do we turn a blind eye? I believe we should act where there's injustice there. should speak up. And then it says this, if someone... Um, takes our cloak, we ought to give him our inner garment, give him the outer garment only. Now, according to Jewish law, in Exodus again, is where the Jews has perverted the clear teaching that's in the Old Testament. It says this, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset. This is Exodus 22. Because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in when they cry out, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So the compassion of God is there within the teaching of the Old Testament. Again, cherry-picking by the scribes and the Pharisees to change 
what they wanted. Moving on quickly. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. It's a common saying, isn't it? Go the extra mile. What does it mean? What does it have its horrid origins in? It's a, it comes from the idea of portage and transport, going about your daily business in ancient times. Um, someone could tap you on the shoulder and say, can you move that from here to there? And when um, Israel was under occupation by the Jews, maybe that same principle was still there. Because remember, someone tapping a certain person called Simon of Cyrene on and asking him to carry the cross of Jesus. And some believe that is the reason of that. Go the extra mile. Think of the parable that Jesus gave. It ties in with love your neighbor too, the parable of the good Samaritan. Did he go the extra mile? He did, didn't he? The one who unexpected. Not the Levite or the priest, but um, the Samaritan. Totally unexpected. What did he do? He did everything. Everything. We know the story so well, don't we? And I believe the good Samaritan reflects the most important thing. If you sit and listen tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, remember this. The message of the gospel is this, that Jesus went the extra mile to carry the weight of my sin and your sin. He does not treat us as our sins deserve because, praise God, he carried the weight of my sin and your sin. And we have to, in more than teaching, is to go the extra mile. I don't know how God's speaking to you tonight. I'm just a preacher delivering the word as God has given me. But maybe tomorrow, when we're in that difficult situation at work, like myself in retirement, and something is being asked of us, maybe even at school or, col or, or college, we may be asked to do a little bit more. That spirit of generosity which goes on, and give to those who ask you. If I came out after services, Kevin, can you lend a tenor mate? I'm only joking. You get what I mean? We're all so careful about our own finances and money. But again, back in the Old Testament, here we read in Exodus 22 again, it's there, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal, charge no interest. John gives a, Apostle John gives a perfect exposition of this text, how challenging. But whoever has the world, this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My children, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. God is saying there, just watch that spirit which says, what I have is mine. And listen to the request of others in case I suffer, struck on the face, court being taken, carrying the Lord or the money that's in my bank account. 
a word of common sense in this as well. Our Lord does not encourage us to have frauds or professional beggars or drunks. We're in an age now where every week someone's trying to scam. True? The government's getting to the stage where they've got to do a national advertisement about it because it's so bad. But anyone with church oversight, and I've been there, will know that there's people who come knocking on the door and say, I'm needy. Can you give me X, Y, Z? I've still got in my mind the day when a man came when I was at Sunderland Free Church and we always had food and provisions there asking for a handout for food. I'm sure anyone in ministries knows about this. And we gave him stuff and then watched as that man went out across the road to his van and opened the back and his friend got out and the back of the van was full of stuff. We were doing the tour of the churches. Next slide, very quickly. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? That's where the more than comes from. Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, back to the Good Samaritan, but again, back to the balance of the law of God. In Exodus 23, verse 45, I'm sure this one wasn't top of the scribes and the Pharisees' best do list, so I'm going to read it. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. Remember, your enemy... If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its laws, do not leave it there, but sure you help them with it. Do you reckon they had put that into action? I wouldn't have thought so. The idea was, love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, and that meant the neighbor meant another Israelite, a fellow Jew. Regard everybody else as an alien and an enemy, as dogs. And that spirit of hatred against especially Jews, I believe, is still historically unchanged. I'm not getting into politics, but which side do you reckon the world seems to be swinging in in this conflict with regards Israel and Palestine? Don't get me wrong. No one wants to see lives taken. But there seems to be a great thrust, doesn't there? of one side and maybe not the other. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. and has always been there within society because they are different. Nobody likes people who are different, including Christians. No one likes Christians because we are different. More than teaching than is, no partiality and abundance of love demonstrated in positive action. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Wow, that's more than teaching, isn't it? 
If your enemy, Romans says, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's more than teaching, isn't it? Instead of retaliating. And all of this, nearly finished, is very quickly to mirror Father God because it says these words, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you greet only those, like the tax collectors, they with us, you know, know better than them. If we only manage to equal the world, and this is important, this, the world, we look, sometimes folks are doing great things, aren't they? Fundraising and doing this and doing that and doing that. And sometimes we might think, well, the church is, you know, we're really the, the holier than their ones who are doing it. But sometimes we're not. And if we only match in the world, are we any better than them? I don't know if that makes sense. Think of Jesus going more than when he caught the woman in adultery. Go and sin no more. Jesus put into practice in his life more than text. Right, so it finishes with these words. I think you've got the idea of that. Be perfect there as your heavenly Father is perfect. Not speaking about like final crescendo of last, sorry, Paul, next one, is wraps up chapter five, what do we make of it? Um, just going to conclude with a thought, not from me, from Matthew Henry. Good old Matthew Henry. He says this, Jesus concludes this subject with this exhortation, be ye perfect as your Father which is heaven in perfect thought. Should not children follow their Father's example? It is the duty of Christians to desire, to aim for, to press onwards in perfection, in grace and holiness, the perseverance of the saints. He says, we that, we that owe so much that we are all to the divine bounty. We ought to copy it out as well as we can. Belief, yes, I've got all the doctrines, I understand. I believe I do, anyway, I think I do. I'm sure I've got more to learn, never stop learning. But can we work it out as well by God's grace with fear and trembling? Last slide, Paul. Conclusion is this. And this really is where it comes to, isn't it? Where you hear the teaching, it wham, bang, wham, bang. You think God is speaking. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us. The greatness of, someone said these words, not me. The greatness of a Christian's power is in that proportion to the measure of their surrender to the Christ life within. Are we dead to ourselves? I think it was William Booth who said this. I haven't got it down there, but I remember reading this. He said, well, when I went to London and saw in Victorian times the poor of London, the destitute, the, in the intense poverty, he says, then I gave my all to that work. I gave my all to God in that work. Nothing left of William Booth. Do you and I are challenged with that 
struggle. You might think tonight, Kevin, this is hard more than teaching. The Christian life harder to struggle. Final words, and I agree with that. But that doesn't stop us from trying to press on. Final words comes from Paul in Hebrews 12, and he actually says these words. In your struggle against sin, chapter, four, chapter 12, verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Keep in mind, we are to glorify the father for we his children. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. You know, when Robin gets those pruning shears out and starts nipping away at those bushes, if those bushes could talk, I'm sure they're in pain and in trauma. But we all know from that pain and trauma comes what? Something that's vigorous, something that will blossom, something that might have better shape. And really that's what good, my father... I am the vine and you are the branches. My father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it says, prunes. Do you feel like you've been pruned tonight? I believe the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount will prune us and challenge us. I don't know what God said to you tonight, but I trust that even those words stick in your mind. All that we learn from the Sermon on the Mount is more than teaching to the glory of Jesus and to the glory of God our Father. I know I've been long preaching. This is what God has given me. I'm not going to apologize for it, but trust that God would have spoken through his word. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for the instruction that's before us. Lord, give us the heart and spirit that you want us to have from this teaching to the glory and praise of your name. Of your name. And bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Strengthen them for the week that lies ahead. And may, Lord, some thought of this word stay in their heart. And when that challenge comes, Lord, that they can reach that higher ground, reach to the bar, Lord, that you've set at that moment of time, and give glory and honor and praise to you. I ask this, Father, to your glory and praise. Amen. Amen.